All right, guys, so we're in Lesson 5 today. We're going to be focusing on Hosea chapter 6, verse 4 through chapter 11, verse 11. So I'm not going to read this all together. We will refer to things as we go along. Um, and again, this is a series, okay, if you remember, the first three chapters were uh, where he told Hosea to marry Gomer, who was an adulterous woman, okay, uh, and of course she left or he kicked her out or whatever because she was chasing after other lovers, and then God uses that to illustrate where he's at in his relationship with Israel, and in the end, he tells Hosea in chapter 3 to go and take back Gomer as his wife, or buy her back. She had to buy, be bought back. And uh, so that's very much an illustration of how God is with Israel. So then when we got to chapter 4, through the end of the book, it's a series of three charges. We've already looked at the first charge last week. We're going to look at the second part of the charges today in chapter 6 through verse 11. Now again, I want to remind you, we talked about this briefly last week, I kind of mentioned it to you. When we look at these prophecies, you need to first of all recognize that they were for who? Anybody know who, who they're for? Israel. That's right, John, they're for Israel. All right? How do we take what we learn from what was spoken to Israel, bring it to where we are today? Well, the proper thing is to look at it from the perspective that it was a prophecy to God's people at that time. And so now we need to come forward and say, okay, what's the lessons for, for God's people today, for God's people, which is the church? Not what is the lesson for a nation, okay? Because there's only one nation that God favors, and that's what nation, folks? Israel, okay? And that's part of God's plan, ultimately. Because the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior, is the Messiah to redeem, ultimately, in the end, Israel. So let's get in it today. We're going to look at the, there's this charge, the second charge. We can break it down into two cases of Israel's guilt and punishment. And then we're going to see, again, God always ends up with a promise, Okay. So let's start, first of all, with uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 4, through chapter 7, verse 16. We're going to see the issue is their lack of commitment. Okay? God had a problem with their lack of commitment. Commitment to who? Commitment to him. Okay? So let's see what's going on here. So the Lord describes Israel's faithfulness as momentary, like the morning fog. So have you noticed... Sometimes it's like I see it in August or even when the weather starts to change a little bit or even like this time of year when we've had snow and it's cold and then all of a sudden we have a warm spell. In the morning you have to deal with what, folks? Fog, right? How long does that last? Days? No, it, it only for a few hours, right? Until the sun burns it off and... And then we go on. And so he's describing Israel's faithfulness like the morning fog. So look at what it says in verse 4 of chapter 6. He says, O Ephraim, 
What shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. That's talking about their faithfulness. It's just momentary, all right? Now, the Lord is bringing the judgment that was forewarned by the prophets. So everything that's going to happen to them, would you agree that God told them beforehand it was going to happen? How many times did he tell them? Okay. Okay, so, all right, so yeah, that's good, Tim. Tim, Tim reckoned. So, so he told them when they came into the land with Moses, Moses said, if you do this, this is going to happen. That's good, Tim. You remembered that. He's told them several times since then, every prophet who's come along has said to them what? If you turn away from God, you're going to experience those cur curses, right? And so it's like the judgment. He's, so now Hosea is saying, okay, what you've been forewarned about is coming, okay? That's good, Tim. So the Lord expressed his desire in that he longed for mercy and loyalty from Israel. So in the midst of him saying judgment's coming, you see a glimpse of God's heart. I think sometimes we give God a bad rap, the old God in the Old Testament a bad rap, that he's just ready to drop the hammer on people, that he's just ready to punish but the reality is, is in the midst of a judgment passage, he expresses what his desire is. is that he's desiring from them what? Mercy and loyalty. He wants mercy. You know what do you mean mercy? Well, the way that they're acting, they're not merciful towards each other, okay? And then they're not loyal. They're chasing after everybody else, every other God, every other thing that could maybe bring them something rather than the Lord, their God. So rejecting the Lord, the people broke the covenant and became unfaithful. So when they rejected the Lord, they broke the covenant and they became unfaithful. You say, what covenant, George? Well, Tim mentioned it. The covenant in the beginning with Moses before they entered into the promised land. That, you know, they, they, and they had the whole nation there. And they were like, okay, this is what the Lord says. Well, we agree. We commit to this. And they committed. But you know what? Yeah, it's, talk's cheap, right? Okay? Talk is cheap. So Israel's unfaithfulness resulted in rampant violence, violence that involved all levels of society. So the fact that they turned, and we're going to talk about this in the morning service this morning when we get into Romans. When you turn away from God, there is a downward spiral that takes place to where anything goes. And so in this instance, the prophet points out that violence existed from every level of society, from, from the guy who digs a ditch all the way to the king in his palace that there is this, this concept of people turning away from God and they're going to do whatever, and there is no sacredness anymore. There is no holding back. You're just going to do whatever you want because you're doing it for yourself. So it resulted in rampant violence that included all levels of society. 
The Lord has seen that Israel is defiled because of harlotry slash we could call it idolatry. Because whenever it talks about harlotry with the nation, it means their idolatry. So the reality is, is they've become defiled by going and worshiping the Baals and the Asheroths and, and burning incense to all the Canaanite gods and any of the gods, the gods of the Phoenicians, the gods of the Philistines. I mean, all there were so many different gods. They burned incense to all of them. They even, you know, I think the king of Judah who went up to uh, to visit the Assyrians and, and got dimensions of their altar and came back and built an altar to, in Jerusalem near the temple or in the temple, built an altar to the Assyrian god. That's pretty blatant, isn't it? Okay? So they, they are defiled. So the Lord, the Lord also announces that a harvest or judgment has been appointed for Israel. The prophet uses the term harvest, but it's, it's, it's got a meaning, and the meaning is judgment. There, there is a reckoning that's coming. He's announcing the reckoning that things are only going to go so far before God says enough. Now, do you think there's a point with God where he says enough? Would you guys agree with that statement? Yeah, do you think when it comes to nations, not just with individuals, do you think there's a point where God says, okay, you've reached it, that's as far as I'm going, boom. All right, everybody agrees with that. Yeah, because remember, when we talk about in the Old Testament, he talks about the, that the, uh, when he, in, the, in Genesis about the sins of the Amorites are not complete, meaning they haven't reached the full point of where they've crossed that line yet. And so there's a point where God has where it's, it's over, and, and that's something we need to remember. So the Lord wanted to heal his people, but they continued to lie and sin. So here again, the desire is expressed. What's he want to do? He wants to come and heal the nation. He wants to come and do what's right for them, but what do they do? They continue in their what? Sin. And, and what's, they continue not just in, in all the other sins that are listed, but they starts off with by what? Speaking falsehood, by lying, and then their sins. So the rulers of the nations delighted in the people's sin. Now, this is where it gets really bad. It's one thing when people go off and do wrong, right? It's, it's, I mean, everybody, you can't, I mean, we've had that throughout history, right? Where people go and sin. Would you say it's a different thing when we get to the place where your government says, or those in authority, and here it's the king, says, oh, it's okay for you to do that. They actually encourage you to sin. Isn't that craziness? And that's what's going on here with Israel. That's, that's what's going on with Israel. The rulers of the nation delighted in the people's sin. This is how bankrupt the northern kingdom has become. To where now the, the rulers, rather than being the ones who uphold justice and carry out justice, because that's what the purpose of government is, according to Romans 13, they're like wanting people to just do whatever they want to do. Okay? Wanting people to do whatever they want to do. So the rulers of the nation delighted in the people's sins. So the Lord states that they are adulterers 
and their sinful desire is like a low burning fire. He calls it a low burning fire in an oven. That's an interesting way to say it, right? When you talk about a low burning fire, is it almost out? It's kind of like continually going, but it's just there ready to, if I need to fire up the oven a little bit more because I want to do a pizza or something or some bread, cook, I just need to fire it up a little bit. So it's just simmering beneath the surface, the low burning fire. So, so the reality is, is their, their desires are like ready to spring forth. That's where they're at. Okay? That's where the people are at. Here's the problem. The other problem is that the kingship of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, frequently changed hands and no one called unto the Lord. So when you look at the history of the northern kingdom, how long did their kings last? Now, there were some that lasted a few years, but every once in a while, they would go through a series of kings, like maybe six months of a king, seven months, a year. Why? Because one king would become king, I'm the king, and, he, he's, and then six months later, somebody kills him. And the one who killed him becomes what? King. And, and the prophet says, kings don't last. And you know what? You're not asking God. Asking God for what? A king. They're not seeking the ruler that God would have for his people. They're just setting up people as they come. It's actually whoever's the strongest at the moment. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what we see here. The kingship was frequently changed hands and no one called upon the Lord. And so it should be sought. Israel sought to make alliances with foreigners, but did not see that she was weakened herself. So Israel, feeling vulnerable in this world of nations around them, rather than seeking God, here's what they decide to do. If we're going to survive, because remember, God's not in the equation anymore. All right, because they've pushed God out. If we're going to survive, we need an ally. So who do they look to? First place the prophet says they look to, this is crazy, Egypt. Why is that crazy that they would look to Egypt? What were you saying, John? Yeah, they just a few hundred years ago escaped Egypt. Egypt had them as slaves. Now they're going back and saying, hey, we need your help. Not just that, they also looked to who? The Assyrians, who would later come in and what? Wipe them out. And so here they are, they're going and looking wherever they can for an ally to help them because they're not looking to the Lord. And the prophet points out that while they're doing this, they don't see that they're weakening themselves. How are they weakening themselves? Anybody got any clue how they would weaken themselves? When you're looking for somewhere else other than God, how are you weakening yourself? Okay, you make yourself vulnerable to sin, but here we're talking about attack. Okay? How are they making? They're not seeking God. They're looking. They're actually looking to the people that they're afraid of for help. How's that weaken you? Okay, all right, all right, okay. That's good, Tim. All right, let's, let's bring it down to a human level. Do you guys remember in school bullies? Ever, ever had bullies in school and the way they acted and so forth? And what if the decision is, 
Well, the way I'm going to survive the bully is to make allegiance with the bully. Does that strengthen you or weaken you? Yeah, Mike says it weakens you. Why? Because you become what? Enslaved to the bully now, to whatever his whim is. But you're just concerned about surviving. This is the point. They become weakened here, okay? They become weakened. So they're seeking these alliances rather than seeking the Lord. So Israel is like a silly dove who seeks help from Egypt and Syria. Now, can you guys tell me, do you consider doves to be very smart animals? Are they smart? Like an eagle? No, they're not smart at all. You know, they're, they're not very smart at all compared to some of the other majestic birds of the air. A dove seems rather silly, right? Okay, easy to shoot and kill, right? And so he's saying here, the prophet is saying, you guys are like silly doves as you're trying to seek what? Help from who? Egypt and Assyria, okay? Egypt and Assyria. Because they rebelled against the Lord, he will bring judgment upon them. Here, I think there's, you know, do you remember in high school when you were in science, they told you there were these different laws that were set in concrete that, you know, matter is neither created nor destroyed. I mean, there were different scientific laws that are like, these are the laws and nothing transgresses or against those. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. There are certain spiritual laws that are set in stone, and they're true whether you are saved or not saved. And the spiritual law is this. If you rebel, you are inviting what into your life? Judgment or chastisement. Bottom line. You rebel, you're inviting what? Judgment. We say, I'm saved. Yes, you are saved. Salvation has to do with what? Eternal life later. But it doesn't wipe away the reality of consequences in your life. Do you understand? And so he's saying to them, look, you rebel against the Lord. He will bring judgment. It's coming. It's coming. So an enemy will... Come quickly against Israel because they rebelled against the Lord. So he's saying, hey, there's an enemy coming. In fact, don't you hear him? He's coming. He's coming. And he's going to bring judgment. So here's the thing about Israel's rebellion. We see this in chapter 8. Israel will cry out to the Lord, but they had rejected what is good and will be judged. I had to spend a little bit of time when I was looking at that verse, thinking for a moment. God brings difficulty in our lives so that we turn back to him, okay? Everybody recognize that when, when we, God brings difficulty so that we continue to go to him. So here he's bringing judgment against these folks, and they cry out to the Lord, okay? That's a good, proper response. Would everybody agree with that? That's a good, proper response that they cried out to the Lord. However, the problem is, while they're crying out to the Lord, they keep doing what? Yeah, they keep doing their sins. They keep worshiping the other idols. They keep 
keep focusing on other places that they don't need to. So they reject what is good and they'll be judged, even though they're crying out to the Lord because he's not hearing them anymore. Do you understand? He's not hearing them. Here's what he says. Without the Lord, they set up their rulers and their idols. They just left God out of the equation. They set up their own rulers, selfish men who were basically doing it for themselves, not for the people, and they set up their idols. The Lord proclaimed that their golden calf image is rejected and will be destroyed. Okay, so let's go back in history a little bit. So after Solomon died, he uh, had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, if you, and if you go into uh, 1 Kings, you'll see this story. Rehoboam, after Solomon died, the elders and all of the counselors of King Solomon came to him and said, look, if you treat the people right, they'll be with you forever. But if you continue in the policies of your father, they will rebel and, and there'll be a problem. Well, he didn't want to listen to the old guys who he listened to his young friends. And his young friends said to him, you, you, you need to be worse than your dad. You need to be more harder and so forth. And, and who are these people to tell you this? And so you just be hard. So guess what? He came back and he said, I'm going to be worse than my dad. And uh, you owe your allegiance here, blah, blah, blah. And guess what happened? Ten tribes said, we're out of here. Ten tribes left under a guy named Jeroboam. And they started their own kingdom, the northern kingdom, called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom is also called Samaria sometimes in the Bible. And so he started a northern kingdom. Now, here's what Jeroboam was. Jer God said to Jeroboam, I will make your dynasty last forever if you just follow me. Well, Jeroboam was afraid. He was thinking for himself. He was afraid that if he didn't keep the people from going to the temple in Jerusalem to do their worship where they were supposed to, eventually the ten tribes would go back to the house of David. So guess what he does? He set up two golden calves. He set up two golden calves, like the golden calf that was created in the wilderness, remember? He set up two golden calves. He put one at Bethel and the other at Beth Even. And then he told the people, behold, Israel, this is your God. And he set up a false system of worship from the very foundation of the beginning of the northern kingdom with the ten tribes there were these two golden calves. And so now the prophet is going to speak and say, the Lord proclaimed that their golden calf is rejected and will be destroyed, okay? So God has always been provoked by those calves. And so he's proclaiming that the one in Beth even will be destroyed. Israel is reaping what it has sown and is now living among the Gentiles. He's talking about exile. So they... They sowed seeds, and with that, they are reaping what they sowed. They're gaining the consequences, and because of that, they're going to live among the Gentiles, meaning they're going to be scattered. They're going to be brought into exile, which, by the way, that's still true today, right? They're everywhere, even China. Isn't that amazing? Okay? So... They consider the great things of God's law 
to be strange. They had gotten to the point. Are you, this, this is how, when you're, you're talking about God's people here, they got to the point where now when somebody said God's law, they thought that that was strange. They thought, that is weird what you're saying. Where's that from? God's law, the covenant. What? Are you kidding me? That's how depraved the people had gotten. So they will make sacrifices to the Lord, but he'll reject them. He'll reject them. If their hearts aren't right, it really doesn't matter. Do you remember what was said in 1 Samuel? To obey is better than what? Sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. God's not interested in your offerings. He's interested in your what? Obedience. Your walk with him. So, Israel has forgotten his maker and Judah will be devoured. So the prophet, yes, he's prophesying to the northern kingdom, but he's also mentioning Judah here because Judah is doing the same thing. And he's saying, look, guys, you're going to be devoured as well. And sure enough, remember they did. When the Assyrians came in, they took everything but Jerusalem. All the territory of Judah was destroyed but Jerusalem. And unlike the other nations, Israel will have no joy during the upcoming harvest. Now, harvest time is considered a festive time. And that's true in all cultures. Why? Because you're reaping the bounty of all the work of the summer, and so there's festivities. So, for instance, Germans, Oktoberfest. You know what I'm saying? You know Oktoberfest. You just don't wear leather short pants, you know, and dance around and and drink beer, you what? You celebrate the harvest. That's what Oktoberfest is, right? All cultures do it. Even in their culture, they did. They celebrated the harvest. However, God says, unlike those other nations, you're not going to have joy in the harvest because there's judgment coming. So Israel will be sent into exile and find themselves eating unclean things in Assyria. When it says unclean things, what does that mean? Well, what it means is this. It's not that they get a plate of food and it's got dirt in it. That's not the issue. The point is, for a Jew, they had to eat certain foods that were approved by the law to be eaten, right? So, like, for instance, they didn't eat rabbits or lobster or pigs. What's that? Split hoof. That's right. Okay? So... Now, when they go to among the Gentiles, do the Gentiles have those kind of dietary laws? No. So when the Gentiles, who are their masters, are feeding them, they're feeding them their food. And so now, here's these Jews who shouldn't be eating this. They're now being forced to eat things that are unclean, okay, in exile. So Israel will no longer be able to celebrate the festival days as they did before. Part of the Jewish life was these continual festivals, reminders of what God had done, and they would have feast days. And we're talking about a feast day. We're not talking about a two-hour party. We're talking like a week-long celebration that the whole community would come together and celebrate. And he's saying, those days are gone. Judgment's coming. You're not going to be able to even celebrate those anymore. This is the second case against them. The day of judgment has come since the, 
They were hostile to the Lord's prophets. So how did they handle the Lord's prophets, guys? If you think about their history, what was the typical thing that they would do with the Lord's prophet who showed up and told them, stop doing what you're doing, it's wrong, God's going to bring judgment. How did the people react to that? Did they say, oh, you're right, we'll stop? What did they do with those prophets? Rob, you said it. Kill them, yes, they killed them. Isaiah, put in a log, sawn in half. They killed them. You know what I'm saying? They killed them. And so the day of judgment is coming since they were hostile to the Lord's prophets. Israel is deeply corrupted as was in the days of Gabeah. Now you're probably wondering, what's Gabeah? Well, if you go to Judges chapter 19, verse 30, it tells you the story of the Levite who had a concubine. A concubine is kind of like a second-class wife. And he's making a journey back to his home area, and he stops overnight at somebody's house in Benjamin, in the tribal area of Benjamin. While he's there in the tribal area of Benjamin, the, uh, there were some men who showed up, and they wanted to rape the men inside, so the Levite thrusts his wife, his secondary wife, outside to them, and they rape her all night long. She comes to the doorpost. This is how terrible the time of Judges was. Knocks on the door. He opens the door, and there she is dead. She died at the door. What does he do? He takes her body, cuts her into 12 pieces, and sends 12 pieces throughout the land of Israel, saying, is this possible in the land of Israel? And guess what? The other 11 tribes rise up and almost wipe out, except for about 300 people, men, wipe out the tribe of Benjamin. That's what happened at Gabeah, Gabeah, and that is in Judges 19. You'll read that story there. So the Lord found delight in the nation until they gave themselves to sin at Bel Peor. So again, this is another sin that they did. So it's kind of like they're doing the same thing as what was happening in Benjamin, but he also says, you guys are doing the same thing as what happened. I found delight in you until you got to the place right before you entered into the land of Israel and the land of the Ammonites. What did they do? Well, the sin at Baal Pure was they took foreign wives and gave themselves over to adultery. And God killed 6,000 of them in one night because of their sin. He said, it's getting to be that bad again here in the northern kingdom. So Israel's glory will depart, and they now become the object of God's wrath. So the glory of the Lord is departed from them, and all that's left is the reality that they're going to experience the judgment of God. So Israel is judged as the Lord casts them away and they become wanderers. Again, talking about the exile. They become wanderers. Man, history has borne that out. How many of you saw Fiddler on the Roof? Remember Fiddler on the Roof? The movie? If I was a rich man. You know, do you remember that song? Okay. Now, they're in what country at that time? That's the only singing I'll do today, okay? And they're in what country when that is being filmed? Anybody know what country they're in, if you remember the movie? It's Russia. That's right, Bruce. You watched it, but you won't admit it. So 
Okay, you don't remember. All right. At the end of the movie, they have to give up everything they have and start wandering again because the Russian government has decided to move them on. Folks, that's been the history of the Jews. Do you understand? They continually moving, moving, and being rejected by wherever they go. And here the prophet is saying to them, you're judged. And the Lord is casting you away, and you're going to become wanderers. Man, when you look at what's happening, that's what's happening. So even though the Lord blessed Israel, she attributed the blessing to her idols. So that would be like if I came up and I gave, I gave John 20 bucks. Here's 20 bucks, John. John says, all right, thanks for the 20 bucks. And then John turns around and says, hey, guys, Bruce was really good to me. He gave me 20 bucks. And I'm the one who gave him 20 bucks. But he says, Bruce is a great guy. He gave me 20 bucks. That's what Israel did. The Lord blessed them with crops, with, with, with productivity, blessed them with bigger families, and guess who they said did it? Baal. Baal gave us the crops. Baal gave us our children. Baal, Baal, Baal. Isn't that crazy? But that's exactly what's going on here. Rather than saying it was the Lord, they attributed the blessing to her idols. So Israel's heart is divided and they will be held guilty as the Lord breaks down their idols. How does he break down their idols? Well, he brings in the Assyrians. And what conquering armies would do to demoralize the people? Because the gods of the people they're conquering aren't their gods, they would destroy the other people's gods. He's going to break down those idols, those sacred groves, those places of worship when they come in and destroy the place. So Israel will lose its king as they recognize that they did not fear the Lord. So they're going to lose their king. And they're going to realize, oh, you know, we didn't, we didn't fear the Lord. We didn't fear the Lord. Now, here's the other thing. The passage tells you that they recognize even still the king couldn't have done anything. Yes, we, we, didn't, we didn't seek the Lord. We lost our king. But by the way, even if he was still alive, there's nothing he could have done. There's no way to turn the tide here. And so let's get back to the golden calf. The people will mourn when the golden calf at Beth Even will be carried away by the Assyrians. So this golden calf, guess what? The conquering army takes it. It's a symbol of their victory. They took away the people's main God. And the people, this is where the people are at. They'll be like, rather than saying, I'm sure glad that's gone. That's been a stumbling block. They're like mourning the fact that they no longer have this false God to worship. And so at the time of the Lord's choosing, he will punish Israel with nations gathered against her. So at the time of his choosing, when it happened, God chose the time, he will use nations to come against them. The prophet calls Israel to seek the Lord till he comes and brings righteousness. So in the midst of this, he's going to call out and say, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. 
Instead, Israel has planted wickedness and reaped iniquity. So rather than seeking the Lord, guess what they do? They keep doing the wrong thing. They keep doing the wrong thing. They will also experience the tumult of war in their midst as judgment comes. So they're going to experience all of the horror of war. All of the horror of war. And when Israel was a child, the Lord loved him and called his son out of Egypt. So again, it's going to be an expression here of the reality that God loves Israel. He called Israel up out of Egypt. But instead, Israel sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to idols. You know, I always find it interesting when I read the first five books of the Old Testament and I read about the accounts of Israel. All right, so the generation that lived through the ten plagues, when you read the ten plagues that came upon Egypt, were they pretty bad? Do you think everybody in Israel knew? In fact, they did know because the first few plagues they experienced themselves. So they knew God did that. Okay, so here they've seen that. They get to the Red Sea. They watch God, what? Part the Red Sea. They cross over, destroy the Egyptian army. They're guided by a pillar of cloud by day, guarded at night by the same pillar, but it's a pillar of fire. They see all this, and then when you read the five books, you realize that some of them are still worshiping. Are you ready for this? Well, first of all, would you say that's a pretty evident reality that God is there? That he is something awesome? And guess what they still do? Worship the goat gods. The goat gods. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense at all. So here, here the Lord is expressing that, man, Israel was like his child. He called him out of Egypt. And what? They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to idols. He also points out that the Lord's goodness established and sustained Israel. So it was his goodness that established them. It was his goodness that sustained them. However, Israel refused to repent and will experience the judgment brought by the and will experience judgment brought by the Assyrians. So they're going to experience this. Israel is determined to backslide, even though they call to the Most High God. Here's what I want you to understand. This is not just a blatant, in your face, I'm turning away from you, God. They are doing wrong, worshiping other idols, and while they're doing it, they're still going to church. They're still worshiping God. But that's just one part of their lives. The rest of it is doing whatever they want to do. Isn't that terrible? We see that today sometimes, don't we? What were you going to say? I think their consciences were seared to the point that it really didn't matter. Do you understand? Because you can get to the point where you live a duplistic life. And as long as I'll do what I have to do, but I'll do whatever I have to do later. doesn't matter. I mean, through the years, I've seen people come to church who came to church because mom wanted them to come to church or grandma wanted them to come to church. But as soon as they got out of church, they did whatever they wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? This, this is reality. 
So as the Lord reflects, here's the promise now, as the Lord reflects on Israel's judgment, he expresses that he cannot give them up. Even though he says, I'm going to bring this judgment, you're going to be destroyed, you're going to be carried away into exile, God says, even though I'm doing that, I wish it wasn't so because I can't give you up. When you read the passage, verses 8 through 11, it's God's heart being expressed there. It's one of the most intense, heartfelt passages in the scripture. Those few verses are one of the most. God says, I don't want to give you up. In his compassion, the Lord states that Israel will never again experience judgment. So when they are finally brought back together, which is in the future, when does that take place? When they're all brought back together. Who's here? Jesus, right? When that happens, they'll never experience judgment again. So Israel will walk before the Lord and will come trembling before him. That's a different attitude now, right? They'll come before the Lord and they'll walk before him with trembling. All right, so that's the second charge, second part of the charges. 